right, welcome to Advent. I love Alex's uh, reflection on waiting because Advent is, of course, about waiting for the coming of the Christ child. And there are so many different kinds of waiting in our lives. Many of you know that I just became a grandfather just a few weeks ago. And uh, waiting for that child to come was an exercise in that sort of, you know, anticipation, that joy, but also the frustration and knowing like there's nothing you can do whatsoever to bring that thing, you know, earlier or to, to even have control over like what happens during the delivery. It's interesting how like you have to come to terms, especially as a man, whether you're the, the father or the grandfather with the fact that you there's really nothing you can do whatsoever in that process that you just simply have to trust. Uh, there are other kinds of waiting, of course, in our lives. Some of you uh, wait every two years for the next election in the hopes that something better is going to happen. Uh, but there is no waiting, I think, quite as excruciating as being a child waiting for Christmas, knowing that Christmas is coming on the 25th and anticipating everything that that means. Uh, for me, growing up as a kid, that waiting didn't begin until the day after the day after Thanksgiving, because of course there was Thanksgiving, which I look forward to every single year. Thanksgiving certainly one of my favorite holidays. My next favorite holiday is the day after Thanksgiving when you get to eat like sandwiches loaded with like cranberry sauce and stuffing and all. I mean, like the day after Thanksgiving is like a holiday in and of itself. But the day after the day after Thanksgiving, that is when it dawned on me as a kid that Christmas was coming. And Christmas was always one of the most ostentatious holidays in my childhood growing up. I grew up relatively poor in San Bernardino in a fairly poor part of the neighbor, our neighborhood. But my mother being a kind of gift giver, that's like her love language. She's a gift giver. No matter how poor we were, she always made sure that we had a pile of presents under the tree. She made a big deal out of Christmas every single year. We didn't get the most expensive gifts. We didn't get always get like the exact gifts that we wanted as kids, but we always had like a relative mountain of gifts. My mother was a huge believer, by the way, in layaway. For those of you who are old enough to remember what layaway is, this was before they were handing out credit cards like candy to you when you graduated from high school, right? Layaway is when you would go like six or seven or eight months beforehand and they would like put it in a back somewhere and you would come in every two weeks after you got your paycheck and that's what my mom would do. She would get jobs just so that she could buy us Christmas presents and she would pay on our presents for months and months in advance on layaway. I know this because she often dragged us, you know, to like the department store and would go. They actually had a layaway counter, right? Like you go to the layaway counter at the back of the store and then she'd make her payment. But Christmas was always this amazing thing because it had been an amazing thing before. At some point in our childhood, we discovered that this magical day happened where we woke up and, and there was this mountain of presents for us. And every year that happened, it reinforced this belief that no matter how long a year was from one December 25th to the next, that another Christmas was coming and that something good and amazing was going to happen. I think hope works a lot like that. We find this kind of hope expressed in Isaiah 
chapter 2. We're going to take a look at Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 today. This is one of the foundational prophetic passages of the Jewish tradition. Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. This introduces the prophet who's speaking, who is Isaiah, the son of Amos. Isaiah is writing probably about the 8th century before Christ. So 800 years before Christ came, something precarious is happening in Judaism. Uh, one of their kings who has been one of their, their most successful kings, a king who has ushered in a period of relative uh, wealth and prosperity and security is now passing away. And as that king who has provided so much wealth and security and prosperity is dying, his son is taking over and there is relatively little confidence in his son to provide that same sense of security. And so there's a lot of uncertainty and fear in Israel at this time. Isaiah comes along and he utters this prophecy that again becomes a kind of central prophecy in the life of Judaism. Verse 2, Isaiah says, In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills, and all nations shall stream to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction in the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 4, He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. And nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So in this time of uncertainty, this time of fear, Isaiah points them to hope. He points them to this incredible vision of a future that's better than what they have. In fact, it's better than anything they have had. A couple of things about this vision make it incredibly remarkable, even for that time, but also for our time. The first is, in verse 2, Isaiah says, in the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house, right? So again, very poetic, figurative language. God's house is like a mountain, and all nations will stream to it. This all nations phrase is the equivalent of all ethnic groups. 800 years before the coming of Christ, the prophet Isaiah is painting a future for the people of Israel that eradicates the divisions that exist between ethnic groups. He's saying that this better future, this good thing that we're looking forward to, isn't just about us, it is about all people all over the world. This is a big deal, of course, because for them, their fear, their uncertainty, that sense that they are afraid of what lies ahead for their future involves the very real threat that comes from other ethnic groups, other tribes. And in fact, Within just a few generations, this exact tribe, the, the Israelites, the Judahites, the, all of those 
who occupy the Holy Land will be, in fact, conquered by the Assyrians and carried off into yet another captivity. This is the history of the Jewish people. To be constantly conquered, to be removed from their homeland, and to be carried off into captivity and slavery. So that is a very real fear in the ancient world. And here is Isaiah saying, hey, in the future, at some point, we will be able to look past those kinds of fears, past those kinds of threats. There will be a time when every nation, every ethnic group, every tribe will no longer pose a threat to each other. And instead, all of them will, verse 3, come and say, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. I love in that little couplet there, we have this kind of parallelism device that we see often in ancient literature. Let us come and he will teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths. What does it mean to teach somebody in the way to go? It means that they're able to walk in the right path. The second line sort of amplifies or explains the first. Often we think of teaching as simply information. Right? We're going to info dump a bunch of stuff onto the student and then therefore they're educated. But of course, any good educator in the room, and there are more than a few educators in the room, any good educator in the room knows that teaching isn't about simply information, it is about transformation. That as we learn, we are walking through a process of praxis, that we are learning, that we are experimenting, that we are reflecting on the actions that we take, and that whole process leads to us becoming, in a very real way, something new. That's exactly the sort of thing that Isaiah is describing. That all the nations will come to the mountain of the Lord, that they will learn God's ways and walk in God's paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction. That word instruction that we see translated in verse 3 is literally Torah. For out of Zion shall go forth God's word, God's teaching, God's Torah, God's law. God's way of being in the world that is good and right and true. The word of the Lord that comes from Jerusalem, this unique vision of goodness, of righteousness, of, of living in relationship to that which is good and right and true that produces something better. And what does it produce? Verse 4. When all the nations come to the mountain of the Lord, when they learn God's ways, when they learn to walk in God's paths, when they receive God's Torah, God's law, verse 4, he shall then judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many people. And here's the payoff. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning things. This is what real instruction, real learning looks like. In the Jewish and Christian traditions, it means that when we do learn what is good and right and true, when we do learn to walk out what is good and right and true, what it means is we lay down our weapons. We cease to make war against each other. 
We recognize that those divisions that we established before were false. That is not good to live in a way that that leads us to be armed and ready to do violence against each other at any given moment. But we ought not to be people who are so gripped by fear that we are ready to hurt others in order to defend ourselves. Instead, when we genuinely understand who God is and what it means to be with God, we will take our weapons of war and beat them into weapons of agriculture. There are actually nonprofits in the United States. I love this. I wish I could remember the name of even one of them. There are nonprofits in the United States who buy back guns in their community and then reforge them into garden hoes and spades. That is, of course, a literal application of Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, that we would take tools meant to kill other human beings and we would convert them into tools to help feed other human beings. What would that look like? What would it look like if we, in our lives, laid down all of our weapons, verbal or otherwise, instead took those tools and converted them into tools for feeding each other, for healing each other, for encouraging each other. What would it look like if politics, which often seems like a weapon of war, was actually converted into a weapon for helping those who are hurting? Isn't that what politics is supposed to be? Like I, I, I teach, at Cal State San Marcos, I teach a class on social policy. And in that class, we naively assume, because they're undergrads, so we can be naive about this, right? We naively assume that the purpose of social policies is to identify real problems that exist in our communities, like hunger and homelessness and gun violence and We take evidence from the world that says that there's a reason to believe that it doesn't have to be this way. And then we actually shape, I know this is funny, but listen, bear with me. We shape laws and policies in our country that are designed to create communities of health and flourishing and goodness. That's what's supposed to be happening in Sacramento and Washington, D.C. One of the things that we talk about in that class is what is the evidence that this particular policy might actually solve this problem or help contribute to the solution of this problem? Because, of course, good social policy should be based on evidence. For example, we know that children who are malnourished, children who don't get enough food to eat, children who live food insecure, like the 250,000 children in San Diego County alone, who every single day don't necessarily know where their next meal is gonna come from. Those children not only suffer the physical consequences of malnourishment, right? 
Their growth is stunted. Their ability to physically and cognitively develop is impaired. But of course, it doesn't just stop there. When you have a child who is physically and cognitively impaired because they don't get enough food, guess what? They underperform academically in school. And as they underperform academically in school, they're robbed of the opportunity to go on to learn and to grow and to attain the kinds of education that we know will help them to actually earn a decent living in life. Like this is how social problems work. One problem leads to another problem, which leads to a bigger problem, which leads to this incredibly huge systemic problem that many of those problems could be solved if we just made sure that every child everywhere had access to good food three times a day. And, you know, that's actually not that expensive. So evidence tells us that if we feed children, whether their parents make enough money or not, if we feed children, that our country will be stronger, more productive, more flourishing in the next generation. And if it is, then there will be fewer poor children. See how that works? We have evidence to believe that if we simply enacted policies that made sure that no child ever went hungry, that in another generation, we would be stronger. And of course, you can look at the history of the United States and see that this is exactly what has happened. After the Great Depression, we implemented legislation in, as a part of the New Deal that made sure that people could get on food stamps if they needed it. Our country is infinitely better off today because we did that after the Great Depression. And so we know that it works. Hope always has some basis in evidence. And this is, I think, exactly what Isaiah is doing. He's not only painting prophetic vision of a better future. He's not simply saying, hey, listen, I know that you're frustrated about losing a good king and maybe acquiring a bad king, but there's actually something bigger, something better for you to put your hopes in. And that hope is in the source of all that is good and right and true. That hope is in our commitment, our devotion to God that which is the source of all that we pin our hopes to. And in doing this, Isaiah isn't just painting a picture of a better future. He is reminding them of their past. It's not just that God will save them in the future, although that is part of this promise. It's that it's the same God who rescued them from their last bout with captivity their last encounter with an enemy. Remember the God who delivered you in the past is the same God who will deliver you in the future, who will help you to overcome these differences, who will help you to take your weapons of war and beat them into weapons of food, and health and well-being. The temptation has always been for us to choose power instead of God. That's the choice that they're faced with. 
They're hoping for a better king. They're hoping for a better ruler. And Isaiah is saying, you don't need a better king. You don't need a better ruler. You need more devotion to what is good and right and true. So while this is not something that we can make happen for the rest of our community, it is something that we can make happen for us. We can go to the mountain of the Lord. Those of us in this room can do that. We can let go of our own divisions of bias and prejudice. We can learn from God's teaching. We can beat our swords into plowshares, our spears into pruning hooks. We can be the evidence in our community that this better world is possible because we do it here with each other. In the name of all that is good and right and true. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for this opportunity for us to gather, to turn our eyes to you, to turn our hopes towards you, to come before you and to admit that we don't always have hope, that we are tired of waiting, that we oftentimes lose heart and lose courage. Our prayer today, God, is that you would remind us of all the times that you came and brought us hope to our lives, to our families, to our church, to our community, all the ways that you have come and poured out your grace on us, all the ways that you have provided us with opportunities for goodness, all the relationships that you have brought into our lives that offered peace. We recognize that all these good things have come from your grace. And we ask that you would help us to have that sense of hope for the future. towards the next small moment of grace and that we would take it as evidence that we can trust in you that your salvation is always coming pray this in Jesus name Good morning, everybody. How's everyone's Thanksgiving? Good, good, huh? Still eating leftovers. I know that's what I'm doing today, a little bit more. Coming up uh, this Thursday night, the World AIDS Day concert is happening, and the OSC band will be playing at this event. That's coming up this Thursday, December 1st at 6 p.m. at Pilgrim United Church of Christ in Carlsbad. It's going to be a special night of music. Joy, do you want to add anything to that? Nothing other than I would love to see you there. I look forward to seeing you guys out there and participating in the community with Pilgrim. 
Sanctuary co-working space is now open right here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. Sanctuary co-work is a cooperative workspace for dreamers, doers, and difference makers. Co-working memberships uh, help fund the Oceanside Sanctuary's programs to feed hungry neighbors, empower marginalized communities, and advocate for socially equitable policies for the good of everyone right here in North San Diego County. If you know anyone who's interested in becoming a co-working member, you can visit SanctuaryCoWork.com or you can gra uh, grab a flyer on the way out. Also, if you'd like to see the co-working spaces, I know the staff, Alex, or the team would love to show you all the hard work they've put in to create this co-working space. That's a really neat opportunity right here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. All right, mark your calendars. Join us for a very special Christmas Eve service Saturday. December 24th. Now we can start talking about Christmas now that Thanksgiving is over. Okay. So Saturday, December 24th, 7 p.m., where we will sing traditional Christmas carols. Is that right, Joy? And gospel. Okay. Christmas You know, the whole mix. All right, it's going to be a whole Christmas mix on Christmas Eve. I love it. It's going to be fun. Just a reminder, you want to be there because on Christmas morning, we will not be here. All right, so Christmas Eve is your opportunity to come to the Oceanside Sanctuary to gather in person. Instead, on Christmas morning, we'll bring you a special Christmas message online at 10 a.m. that you can join from uh, your homes on YouTube or Facebook. For all these events, you can RSVP at theoceansidesanctuary.org backslash calendar or you can scan the QR code that's located around the church. And then lastly, as always, we'd love for you to partner and join with us here at the Oceanside Sanctuary, which is a 501c3 nonprofit, and rely on gifts and funding from us to support all the great ministries and everything that this church is doing. Well, as you leave, I think the one word that stuck out to me today was obviously hope, right? I think we have a tendency to dwell on the things that are challenging, that are discouraging, that are difficult, which is pretty much every day, right? And I love the word that Jason used is just transforming ourselves into living in that word of hope. So when we're in this fear and discouragement, we can transform and just get ourselves in that mindset and that spirit of living in hope and allowing that to flow through us into everything that's around us. Especially in the holiday season, right? May the peace of God be with you. You guys have a great week. Thank you. Thank you.